Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hi, this is Lainey. Hi, it's Duanna. Doesn't sound like Duanna, but it is. And thanks for listening to Show Your Work, which is the first time we've been able to say the name of our podcast off the top of the show. Feels good. <laughs> Yasik, for some reason, is making fun of my enthusiasm about that. No, um, it's amazing. I'm, so, I don't know. Shut up, Yasik. And we need a soundboard so I can press like a, an applause board button. Duanna is recovering from the plague that she got from Yasik last episode. It's true. There's been no other interaction, and I've been dying, so it's his fault. Patient zero. That's who he is. It's um, true. Anyway, so another busy week as we get to the end of the year, and this will be the last Show Your Work podcast of 2016. Oh, I'm going to miss us. <laughs> um, we will be right back with you in January, but yeah, so we thought… We cover uh, what uh, we've been talking about all week or a few, a few stories we've been talking about all week and then maybe end with some highlights and lowlights of 2016. Lots of lows. <laughs> well, that's the thing. When you sort of put down the idea that, you know, what are the highs and lows, it's hard to look at from this end of the year. Um, but maybe let's not be super uh, cynical about it and start with some exciting stuff. I'm so excited about this story. Mm. <laughs> So, Emmy Rossum. Let's just, first of all, say the headline. Uh, Emmy Rossum, as of press time, has recently been awarded the money for Shameless Season 8 that she was holding out for. And it's, uh, we don't know the dollar figure, but it's a lot of money. Uh, She wanted to be paid not only equally to her co-star, William H. Macy, but she wanted to be paid more to make up for the years before this when she had not been paid the same. So that's the headline. Now let's go back to the groan. Um, can you remind us, what did you used to call her? Grossom. Why? i not a fan of Emmy Rossum. I just found her so annoying. Those music videos, the music. The her, the posing, the simpering. Like, but this is all from Phantom of the Opera era. Is that true? Can we? It was like late 2000s. So I would say, like, from the start of LadyGossip.com to then I just stopped talking about her in, I don't know, like 2010, probably, or maybe even before. I probably started. Stop talking about her. I don't even think I've actually dedicated a post to Emmy Rossum since 2009 or eight, even. 
Which is why this is so great, because in the meantime, she's been playing Fiona on Shameless. She is the female lead. If you don't watch Shameless, it's about kind of a, like, shiftless grifter William H. Macy dad uh, and his ragtag band of a million kids, the eldest of whom is played by Emmy Rossum. And it's been doing gangbusters, and they're about to do their eighth season. So she has held out to be paid the same plus as William H. Macy, who, of course, when they started the series, was being paid more because he was William H. Macy. Right. Um, So what have your thoughts been on this story, if not on this celebrity? On the story, I think, yeah, how often do we see an actress step up and say, no, no, I'm not doing it. This is what I deserve. This is what I'm owed. I wish we could see and hear about more of these stories in the workplace, even outside of Hollywood. It actually doesn't happen that way. Or actually to go back even further, I wish women didn't have to muster up the courage and be afraid um, because they've been put into this kind of situation. It shouldn't be this way in the first place. It shouldn't be this way in the first place. Absolutely. Um, The idea that a male star is more attractive or costs more than a a female is bullshit, bullshit, obviously. But I was also thinking about the fact that uh, often women are blamed for not negotiating, not going hard enough, not whatever. I don't know the makeup of Emmy Rossum's team of agents and managers as opposed to William H. Macy. But I would bet my paltry life savings that there are men on that team. So it's interesting because it's not about who's doing the negotiating, actually. It's literally about who they're paying. And the next thing I was thinking is that, you know, Hollywood has a lot of problems in a lot of ways. But one of the things that's actually kind of good is that the salaries are kind of open. They're kind of a known secret. Um, or not a secret. You know, often you hear about what somebody's making. Often you hear about what kind of a bump they're getting. And there are terms like favored nations or whatnot that mean everybody's getting the same bump or that, you know, this or that will be done at the same level. So it kind of is a, a nice platform, a nice forefront for this kind of gender-based negotiation to be going on because everybody's cards are kind of on the table. Why shouldn't she make exactly as much as he did? Well, can we go back and backtrack because there is this thing, I just, it would, I think it's interesting if you could explain to people what happens when a show begins. Actors typically are committed at that very beginning to this seven year, that's the standard number still? Or Six is it, years. Okay. Um, it's, it's, there are different markers at different levels. Usually there's a six year deal at a network level. Mm-hmm. Uh, that can be different for cable. It can be different when people are producers or, you know, the amount of money involved or whatnot. But generally speaking, you sign a six year deal that says, if this show goes this long, yeah. I'm here for this long. Um, there are salary bump opportunities along the way, along the way, um, depending on how well the show's doing and who you are on the show. If you're number seven on the call sheet, you still kind of are taking what they give to you more or less, but 
the real bumps come after season six. Mm -hmm. That's why you see a lot of people leave a hit show after six seasons. Yes. Famously, recently, Nina Dobrev left The Vampire Diaries after six seasons. That was a known thing. Yeah. Six and out. And if you stay beyond the six, you're going to get a salary bump. Um, If you look at the people who stayed on Grey's Anatomy for six, seven, eight, nine, ten years. That's when it came. Huge bumps in salary. And then they start asking for other things as well. Producer credits. Mm -hmm. They want to direct episodes. Mm -hmm. Um, It is notoriously hard to get into directing television. Yeah. But it is, if you get in via being an actor and getting to do an episode or two per season, you are jumping through a lot of hoops in a great way, give or take whether or not you've had all the training. But I'd say you do have a lot of onset training. Yeah. Uh, And in fact, just as a sidebar, Directing is a thing that some actresses do when they're not on camera anymore, or as Tina Fey would say, when nobody wants to fuck them anymore. Right. So Emmy Rossum has directed an episode last year in season seven, and so for season eight, uh, she was renegotiating her contract. Everybody was getting a bump. So by season eight, to sort of wrap it back around. Yeah. Everybody's sort of free agents. Maybe some people sign two-year deals at the six-year mark, but maybe not. Maybe they only sign on for another 13 Mm -hmm. and maybe another 13 after that. So everybody's kind of on tenterhooks waiting to see if they can make the deal. Yeah. So that's why this Emmy Rossum negotiation is such a big deal because the headlines were somewhat incorrectly saying she's holding up production. Yeah. She's not literally in her trailer holding up production. No. This is not a case of a brat who wouldn't wake up for $10,000 a day, but she's negotiating over whether or not she's going to go and be the lead opposite William H. Macy. Yeah. In, I think production starts in May. Here's what's so amazing about that. She has them over a barrel. She is the female lead. Eight years into this show, and I've not kept up on Shameless the way I should. I'm way behind. Please don't spoil. I'm enjoying it so much on my own pace and time. Um, they need her. They can't sub in somebody else. It's not like she can, oh, go off to school and somebody else suddenly comes in. They need that particular actress. She has them over a barrel. It's amazing. I also think what's amazing, though, is I'm going to go back to a Forbes article that I think I've linked to or at least talked about. Um, where women in any industry, not just in Hollywood, are not that comfortable or more comfortable sharing credit. So what happens is that a good project happens, everybody celebrates, and she will say, well, you know, Joe helped me, and Mark was really great, and it's very, and it's very rare that the woman will be like, I worked so hard on this, wow, this is so great, what a win for me. The consequence in certain industries, especially Hollywood too, for women is that their lack of um, comfort in bragging or at least taking credit leads to at some point over a million dollars in lost salary over the course of their professional career because men are generally more comfortable and more willing to boast or at least take credit for their work, and everybody else's work. And so what she has done here, Emmy Rossum, is not only have them over a barrel, but kind of gotten over the discomfort of being like, hey, I carry at least 50% of this show. That's me. I did it. Nobody else. 
uh, maybe more than 50%. I've been reading some articles. People are saying his character is maybe the worst. And, you know, she really is everything that holds it together. She is the glue. Um, it is actually not that common for a woman and an actress to be like, I am that important. No, absolutely not. And she's willing not only to say it, but to say it this publicly. Basically, she went to the press. Uh, she embarrassed them into doing this a little bit. And so what she also runs the risk of is, let's make no mistake, these are high salaries regardless. If she had taken whatever raise they had given her, it would have been a high salary. Mm -hmm. Whatever she's being given now is a higher salary. So there's also getting over that imposter syndrome of, well, do I deserve this? I'm already so well paid. Yeah. I'm already an actress. It's such a wonderful amount of money. It's, oh, damn it. If this is what we do for people who, you know, have the ability to fall down drunk on screen, which is a lot of yeah. what that character does, then why shouldn't I have it for, for the same amount of money? And because, again, relative to, say, a film, a TV show is a grind. If you don't make the money and make the negotiation up front, then six months down the road at four in the morning, you get what you get. There's not the same sort of back-end deals the way there are in movies. There's no greater yeah. paycheck coming to you. You have to do the negotiating. Not to get too Pollyanna about it, though, but the way this breaks down in real life outside of Hollywood is that when women do what Emmy Rossum has done, it's off-putting to other women. Well, because there's no benefit seen to those other women, right? Mm -hmm. This is the problem. You said, I wish other women did this. I wish we heard about this more. The other case of this happening, which was almost, it was not publicized, but it sort of hinted that it was publicized, is Robin Wright uh, went to the mat for her salary on House of Cards. And she said, pay me or I'll go to the press. Yeah. Which is a really interesting thing to say. Mm -hmm. And that's also a very uniquely Hollywood privilege, right? If you are in banking, in law, in whatever, and you sort of hold out for your salary, I don't know who who's going to back you up. First of all, you're not talking about it, so you can't get the support. Yeah. You don't have people on a podcast going go, Karen, you take them to the mat. Yeah. You tell them that you're going to get more for HR. And secondly, you know, do other people think that it's it's off-putting to other women? Maybe. I, it's, I'm not, I wonder if we should unpack that more. Well, if we're going to unpack that, we did talk about this on the social, mm -hmm. about um, whether or not we should brag, boasting. Right. Basically taking, the ethos of this podcast. That's right. Exactly. Boasting, taking credit. And much of the viewer responses and the audience response was, no, no, being humble is the way to go. You know, I was always taught that we should all be humble and uh, let others gradually see uh, our good work. Um, that um, it's so... Um, I reject anybody who's too braggy because, you know, it just tells me that they're insecure. Um, the quiet and silent ones are the ones who win in the end. <laughs> Great. Thanks for the uh, etiquette uh, conversation. But this sort of social expectation for people to be humble, I think, is applied more firmly to women. 
A hundred percent. And look, I sympathize with those women who say that because sure, I was taught that too. We all were. But the fact is, it's actually wrong. The same people, usually women, who are working with their heads down and not bragging and not boasting and getting all high on themselves are the same people, largely speaking, who are watching as people bypass them, people less talented, people less skilled, people with less experience. And the other part of that that kills me, and it's starting to happen with Emmy Rossum, just to bring this all back, is when a woman does succeed, when she boasts or brags or promotes herself or otherwise elevates herself to the level that she deserves, you better believe seconds later there are whispers. She's such a bitch. Oh, well, I mean, she only got that because of X. She only got that because of visibility, because of diversity, because she knows so-and-so, because of that one time that she was friends with that one guy. There are always excuses, and people don't do that with men. And you're right that often, not always, but often, it's other women who are telling those stories, who are saying those things, while the men sit back and think about how to promote themselves Mm-hmm. to get better ahead. Look, I don't want to be where we're tiptoeing into here. I'm not trying to blame women for systemic gender imbalance. No, I don't think that's what we're doing here. And yet, I don't think we move forward without acknowledging uh, the things that we've been conditioned to believe and what we've gotten used to accepting as okay. I'll call myself out. I probably would have been one of those people or have been or am who would make all those excuses, as you say. And I think that what we're doing right now in this time with these podcasts, with these articles, with all these think pieces is trying to deprogram and reprogram ourselves. There's a new generation of women who are coming up, who are younger, who might be doing it way better than we we are. Let's hope so. And this is where we come back to Emmy Rossum, who is, I don't know how old, but who, you know, is not worrying about the way this is going to look, is not worrying about whether or not she's going to be seen as too pushy or greedy in Hollywood. Look, if she does, if she never works again, at least she got out there and went for what she was worth. Um, And if she doesn't, you know, if she, if this doesn't affect her, then great. She's out there at the forefront of things. Um, I have a tangent And yes, like you can cut this if it turns out it's too much of a tangent. But I remember wanting to be an actress when I was young. Uh, And my father, God love him, and the immigrant mentality said to me, Duana, if you're good at acting, somebody would have found you already. I was like (laughs) nine or ten years old at the time. I found this vaguely crushing. And I did not become an actress, and I was not that great an actress. Spoiler. Uh, But fast forward, and he said to me the other day, apropos of, other things. He said, I always used to think that you were just supposed to work and that if you were really amazing, somebody would find you and give you all these things. And now I realize it's not true and I see people who are are hustling to make themselves known and it's not true. And to me, that's amazing because it is a mentality that also has been given to, to men, to immigrants, to all the people, to women, to people of color, all the people who we say, well, just wait your turn. You'll be noticed if and when it's time for you. Just just sit back and wait. And 
that to me is a big lesson for this podcast as well. Show your work is not just about let's see you working, but about dismantling the myth that it just happens. That you just happen to be an actress who is paid on par with your co-star. You have to do the work. You have to hustle through the work. Uh, Another lesson that I learned watching The Social was a closed mouth won't get fed. That you have to speak up and say what you want. So I think that's amazing. And I think it's amazing too that there are voices out there encouraging young women and hopefully programming, if that is to go back to the word I was using before, programming us and them in a different way. And one of the leaders right now, amazingly to some, but maybe not to others, is that Teen Vogue has been one of the outlets that has been really a leader in helping women find their voice and opening their mouths and asking. The Teen Vogue thing is amazing because the way that people have, and by people, I mean, you know, men in the news world have been reacting to the Teen Vogue thing is hysterical. So to backtrack, we are talking about the Teen Vogue editorial that was written by Lauren Duca that was published um, on, was it December? I don't have the exact I think it was December 10th. December 10th. And of course, the title... The title is, Donald Trump is Gaslighting America. Boom. So what follows is an editorial explaining all the ways that Donald Trump is and has lied about the things that he promised to do on the campaign that are already proving to be false. Uh, It's a great article. It's a great read. And cue everybody on Twitter and the internet falling over in shock because the most incisive article is coming from Teen Vogue. And it's incisive, it's informative, and then there's a call to action. This is what I love about this piece and why I've read it three or four times. One of my favorite sections in this piece is she gives the readers of Teen Vogue the definition and the history of the term gaslighting. Right. And it's so important because you can expand it out to not only include Trump, but women and unreliable women um, especially, and how we have been made to feel like we can't even trust our own opinions. You should read the article, but the origin of the phrase gaslighting is from a play of the same name where there's a husband fucking with his wife's perception of things uh, by messing around with things in their lives, including uh, the gas lamps. Well, to the point where she looks at the gas lamps and the flickering of the gas lamps are the only way that she knows that she is right in her mind, that she's not crazy. And this is something that we apply to literature, to storytelling about women, to women who have been systematically, primarily by men, led to believe that they are unreliable, that their perspective is not right. And we saw it in books like um, The Girl on the Train. This is what happened in that story where the main character, yes, was a drunk, but everybody around her was t- telling her, no, your suspicions are wrong. No, your gut feeling is wrong. What you saw is wrong. What you think is wrong. And yet she held on. She was like, am I wrong? Because I know what I know. This is what is so powerful about this article where, yes, you can take it in its purest form and it's about Donald Trump and how he's been gaslighting America, but young women also are reading this 
piece saying, wait a minute, I have been told so many times I'm too young, I'm too uninformed, I'm too naive to actually be able to have an opinion or at least to assert an opinion and then learn from it afterwards. And this, it's so empowering. And sometimes people overuse that word and I do too, but I can't tell you how liberating it would have been for an 18-year-old to read that and think, damn, you know what? I've been gaslighted. I.e., I'm not wrong. The things I'm seeing and thinking and feeling about the way this politician is behaving, which you cannot avoid, uh, the idea that teenagers don't know or don't care about politics is preposterous, especially today with what's going on, and the idea that, yeah, no, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure this out, primarily because the president-elect is the furthest thing from a rocket scientist. You're not wrong. You're not misperceiving things. You are not seeing it through a child's eyes. That's right. Yes, he is gaslighting. So, of course, people are amazed that this was written for this publication, that this is the kind of thing that runs alongside a lip gloss article. And I am so thankful for this. This is perhaps the thing that makes me the happiest about this. I always come back to my biggest sort of overall grumpy rant about anything is the we can't have nice things argument. That is to say, I get so upset when people say, oh, well, well, yeah, it's great that they, that they put in a stoplight where we needed one, but, but how about the condition of the roads? Why aren't we talking about that? Well, well, how about the condition of the crosswalk two blocks down? The idea that whenever anything is achieved that we're talking about all the things that aren't achieved, i.e., well, okay, so we're writing an article that's intelligent for girls in Teen Vogue, but, but they still promote unrealistic standards of beauty with their models. Can we just be excited that these things can exist in the same place? That people who are interested in fashion and style and who maybe are fighting the good fight on representation of equal bodies or you know, ethical fashion or whatever else, are also interested in politics. It does not have to be an either-or proposition. We do not need to put this editorial, this article, in a magazine for smart girls as though the people who read Teen Vogue are not smart. But that criticism doesn't happen for magazines and publications that are primarily targeted to men. Playboy magazine for many years when it was still in print. Is it still in print? I think they like announced last year that probably it's not happening. But you remember in the 60s and 70s, Playboy was actually known for, oh, I go for the articles. I get it for the articles. Remember that joke? <laughs> sure, but it was true to an extent. That's right. The writing was really good and they had political articles. There were profiles on politicians. There were, but nobody stood up and was like, hey, uh, why is it that like, you know, um, on one page I got all these titties and nipples and pussies and then like on the next page it's writing about like the fucking president. Uh, this is wrong. I mean, they just were able to accept that men can like the titties and the pussies and talk about politics. Esquire is the same thing. Right. They actually cut down the legwork, right? We know you enjoy both of these things, and here they are in a convenient package for you. Yes. Here's the titty, and here's the politics. Enjoy, because hey, men, congratulations. We've always seen you as well-rounded, complete human beings. The minute a Teen Vogue or a Teen Magazine does it, then, first of all, everybody's shocked, 
Well, shocked on two levels, and right? Yes. There's, shocked. Oh, my God. It's Teen Vogue. Well, there's women and girls can't be interested in this yeah. because Lord knows there are not politically oriented articles written aimed at women. Uh, I shouldn't say that with such a broad strokes. There are women's magazines who are working really hard to make that not true, but that's not the perception. Yeah. No matter how incisive the reporting in Mary Claire or in Elle, sometimes it's not the perception. And then it's young people. It's the people who are arguably too young to vote are interested in this kind of thing. It's a double whammy. And it's scary for them. I mean, if we want to talk about the status quo and the dismantling of it or our ongoing attempts to change the conversation and change the power imbalance in our social structure, that is scary because you know what happens when you arm young women with information and you make them more aware of what their power is, they will use it or they'll take it. Uh, Rebecca Traster wrote a great book this year called All the Single Ladies. And in her research, um, she has noted that women, and in particular single women, will have the single most influential vote in probably the next 40 years, that they will make a difference in what politics looks like, in what representation looks like, and what social ideas look like. And so this kind of reporting and coverage in Teen Vogue is exactly what Rebecca Tracer was talking about. These are the young women who will be making decisions, who will be affecting change. Okay, but this That's is scary. Yeah, it's scary, but Two this people. is why it's so important and so scary, because Teen Vogue is under the radar. Rebecca Tracer, whatever. That's some New York liberal in the New York Times, blah, blah, whatever. If you are a teen girl growing up in Montana uh -huh. or in St. Louis or That's someplace right. with somebody who has very educated, very wealthy, very patriarchal parents, you know, they will poo-poo that. They're going to wave their hands and roll their eyes and make disparaging comments about it and turn on Fox News. I'm stereotyping but there's also some truth in the stereotype. I think we know this. I think the scariest thing about the political situation is that otherwise educated people have really entrenched beliefs where the liberal media is concerned, for example, or people with an agenda. But Teen Vogue, that slips under the radar. That can come in the door of every household in middle America with models on the cover and lip gloss mm -hmm. articles right there highlighted and it is insidious, and that's what I love about it Lurking. so much. It's a Trojan horse. Yes. This is my favorite thing, that there is an agenda in Teen Vogue. It is going to get in your house and educate your daughters, whether you like it or not, and it's happening under your nose. This is what I like best about this. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. 
Here's my question, though. Do we now hold it to a different standard? If the next issue comes out and has no more incisive political commentary than here's what to do when you're being frozen out in the lunchroom, is that okay? First of all, one of the things that was so interesting about Teen Vogue writing this article is that they have nothing to lose. Unlike the mainstream publications that need access to the president and to uh, the press rooms and that kind of thing, a Teen Vogue has nothing to lose. They can say whatever they want because they were never going to get that access anyway. So do we expect this all the time? Like in every issue? In every issue, is there now something super political? Is this a new mandate? And if it's not, is that still okay? Do we, are they falling down on the new job that we've assigned to them or that they just assign themselves? And this is where, if we want to tie it back to bragging or um, at least sharing the good things that we all do, this is what we try to do at Laney Gossip. Teens can care about lip gloss and nail polish and political discourse. We can care about gossip, and within the gossip of Laney Gossip, we can be addressing serious social issues. Will it be in every post? No. Some posts are just going to be about you and me liking a dress on Mandy Moore or not. And there doesn't have to be anything deeper in there. Two posts later, we can talk about Taraji and, you know, whether or not Taraji has been overlooked and why. But then after in the next post, I can be like, oh my God, Katie Holmes, like, you're so pathetic. Stop dating Jamie Foxx. Do you know what I mean? But you can be both. You can be interested in both. You can be interested in writing about both, in reading about both. To paraphrase a a phrase uh, from Black Twitter, you know, get you a publication or an outlet that can do both. Which is awesome. And it doesn't have to be all the time. It does not have to be all the time. But I'm interested in consistency in what we think of as being what we regularly want from our entertainment, from our outlets, from our whatever, uh, especially as we just got the trailer for the sixth and final season of Girls. And so I'm interested in what it's delivering to us. I feel like it is... I don't know if it's the same show they've been selling us all this time. The show has evolved, and yet it hasn't at all. Is that the point? Kind of. I was left feeling unsettled when I watched the trailer. I mean, what they're trying to say in the trailer is that these four friends have come up against a wall. Do they continue being friends, or is it over? Can they get through the betrayals, the lack of trust, and most importantly, confronting, were we ever friends at all? Especially between Hannah and um, Jessa. Jessa. What felt strange about it to me is that it doesn't necessarily feel like a season six. That trailer and those conversations seems like they can happen every episode of this show. So it's kind of the opposite of what we've been talking about. It doesn't necessarily feel like it's marching forward in time, It feels like any season of any episode of Girls. Maybe they haven't progressed at all, which if you go by a Seinfeld model for a comedy, which Girls is a comedy, that's the ideal, right? No learning, no hugging, no progressing. Mm -hmm. Um, They are going to end the show at more or less the same place where it began. And I can't be mad at that because that's something I love, say, in Gilmore Girls. That's something I love in a lot of shows, the idea that for all the struggle, there's no real growth. 
And I think that's a lot more interesting, a lot more organic in lots of ways. It doesn't necessarily tease me. I think what I was thinking is Girls is not a real teasery, trailery show. Each episode is kind of its own microcosm, but it's not a real, it's not a real, yeah, teasery show that really draws me in by showing me the clips because the clips really could have been lifted from the previous five seasons. If I recall correctly, though, you were quite impressed with season five. Yeah, I absolutely was. Like you thought that it was, wow, probably the strongest season. Easily the strongest season. And they started to do the things that they had always Mm -hmm. wanted to do. This is the problem with TV shows, right? God love a show. You have an idea, you get through season one and you pick yourself up and you make sure you're still breathing. You get through season two and you try a few things and try to see what you can tweak. And then somebody says, okay, we want you to go through season six and you have to slow down the stories. You have to not spend everything because you're saving it all for your big bangs at the end of season five or season six. So that's why I loved season five because they spent their money uh, or their intellectual money, I suppose. That last episode was glorious. The last episode, I'd say the last run of five. Yeah were really, really excellent. And they're I think confronting I watched it like three times. It was that good. Yeah. Yeah. They're confronting real things. Mm-hmm. Shoshana in Japan was really lovely and actually doing something. Yeah. So I'm a huge fan uh, of the show itself. I just think that's what I there's that's what I'm coming down to. I hate the trailers. Mm-hmm. I hate that, you know, they're trying to hi- uh, highlight certain phrases and certain words with making the words bigger. Like, I don't need a trailer for this show. I know what it is. I don't need you to tease me because uh, I'm watching because the show itself is little pieces of conversation, little pieces of art, but it doesn't lend itself to a trailer. You know what's funny to me, though, talking about we're, you know, at the end of December almost, we're talking about how we felt about season five of Girls. It feels so far away. When we look at highlights and lowlights, it was definitely a highlight for me. Like when, and I think across the board, when season five ended, there was a general sort of um, high off of how girls ended in season five. But it happened so long ago, I've forgotten. Yeah, it was what the show was always supposed to be. But we are, as we know, in peak TV, as we say, there's a lot happening. And it's hard to kind of hang on to that. It's hard to do, hang on to much of anything, pop culture-wise, except for the real, real iconic standouts, because everything just whooshes by in a, in a whirlwind of being mostly excellent. Now, let me say this, because the other show that has recently ended, also on HBO, also about women, is Insecure. Right, yes. And so as Jenny Connor and Leanne Dunham wind up, girls, Insecure and Issa Rae are on the rise. Right. And let's talk about how one chapter has ended and a new chapter is, is, is opening up. So what's so interesting about that is that girls got a lot of flack for being not being inclusive, not showing a Brooklyn that had people of color or people of different economic statuses. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I think personally that's kind of just the fault of the title. I think it never promised to be about anything other than Hannah Horvath and her obnoxious friends. Right. Uh, 
Insecure is incredibly specific. So specific. It is not just about black women or black women in LA or professional black women who happen to be best friends. It's about Isa and Molly. It's about these two friends specifically. Their rhythms and the way they speak and the problems they have are really specific. The thing that I have found really interesting is that people are really mad at the main character. Issa Rae has talked about how her character does some cheating. It's a spoiler, but not really if you've watched any at all. And It was leading up to there from the first episode. It's right there. Yeah, like from the first episode in the car, it was going there. Exactly. Yeah. It's, It's right there. And that's kind of part of the the discussion of season one. And she talks about how mad people are. Yeah. How angry people are that this character, the lead character of the show, by the way, has done this, is doing this. How dare she? She actually, it was either a tweet or a quote where she was like, at this point, I could put up a picture of my grandmother and people would still all caps yell at me with exclamation points. You, spoiler alert, cheater. Right. But... Yeah, I mean, people are really mad. They're really mad, but I love it because it's specific. It's not about, it's not about saying, well, this is what happens to black women in LA. This is what happens to 28-year-old professional. 32. 32? How old is she? 29. She's supposed to be 29. Uh, It's really specific. This is about the Issa character, and this is who she is. And if she's imperfect, if she's not a, you know, a representation of everyone out there, that's okay. It's okay for her to be really specific to herself. And frankly, for HBO to be programming shows that don't need her to be specific to anybody but herself. That's always been the case uh, and was the case for girls. Again, I don't apologize all the time for girls and Lena Dunham, but I don't think the show was ever supposed to be about anyone except one selfish millennial and her friends. So I think it's great that we're seeing the show be that much more specific. More shows be more specific. Okay, so Issa Rae and Insecure and the specificity of that show and shows this year, definitely a highlight. Huge. It's a real advancement. Um, And what I love about that specificity is it's allowing us to talk about things we never have before. So I read this article on the Huffington Post. It is written by Zeba Blay or Zeba Blay. The headline, in 2016, TV shows got wonderfully honest about abortion. So I agree and I also don't agree. And the reason I don't is because I think that this movement where we're actually talking about abortion on television actually started in 2015. It started around this time last year This incredible episode of Scandal airs, and we saw Olivia Pope get an abortion on screen, as in saw it happening in the doctor's office while Silent Night played, and nobody said anything. It just flew under the radar. I was delighted on one level that there weren't mass protests and and threats on Shonda Rhimes. On the other hand, I couldn't believe we weren't talking about it more. But it was kind of meta. You know, Olivia makes that decision and goes on with her life and doesn't cry about it. It's the right choice for her and she's able to continue and it was not a major, major 
um, derailment. It was not even a plot point. And then the reaction to it is, we go on with our lives. That's Do you know right. what I mean? Yeah. You, you're right, actually. Yeah. That's it, the meta-ness of it. I would love to believe that we were there as a society, that it's just the thing that if you weren't actually visually watching the show, you would not know what happened because it was all visually right there on screen, but there were no discussions. There were no hand wringings. I would love to believe that we're there where it's like, oh yeah, that happened on the show last night. We're not there. We are not there. Let's be yeah. real. However, it kind of opened the door in typical Shonda Rhimes fashion. She broke a glass ceiling without a whole lot of fanfare. And now everybody else is filing through talking about it. Uh, and this article in the HuffPost cites Shameless and uh, You're the Worst and Crazy Ex-Girlfriend and uh, Jane the Virgin, notably, hilariously, because of the, that show's title. Uh, I believe Jane is no longer a virgin. Spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it's ushering this through. It's another thing that we're pulling back the curtain on being able to talk about. Uh, not every show deals with it the same way. Not every show is sort of as matter of fact about it as the sublimely skillful Shonda Rhimes and Scandal were. But it's out there. It's a conversation we're having a bit more. I'm really into it. Uh, Bojack Horseman dealt with it by having an all-male panel discuss this thing that, as they say, uh, I can say with confidence that I would put my life on hold for a child I didn't want because I'll never have to make that decision. Um, so hilarious, and I'm into the discussion and the presentation of it on our airwaves. Yeah. But it started in 2015. Especially now. Especially now. More and better. Let's have it. Let's have the conversation. Argue with me. Disagree with me. That's great. Let's do it but let's put it on the screen where people can see it and be part of the conversation. You know, and I work with, uh, I work with a woman, her Cynthia Loist, on the social. She's a Planned Parenthood advocate. She's a sex and relationship expert. And the one thing that she always says um, to me and when she's out there, you know, giving her talks is, you know what, you can disagree with it. I get it. But in your disagreement, do you still want women putting a coat hanger inside themselves? Is that what we want to go back to? Right. And, and, you know, basically, to me, it's that simple. But for so many others, it gets so complicated about what this really is about. And more often than not, it makes me crazy that this conversation, or at least the most damaging parts of it, come from men who never will have to do that. No, of course not. We are getting outside our purview here. But yes, no, what they want is for that not to be an issue because they want there not to be pregnancies because then there shouldn't be sex. Where they are going to have the sex that they want to have if they're not having sex with women who could get pregnant, yeah, that's, that's another issue for another time again. But this is what this is about. This is ultimately about policing women and their sexual activity. Not to get too heavy over your, uh, <laughs> over your holiday cocktail there. Oh, but, you know, again, we can spin it back to light. I mean, another highlight for me this year has been um, Zadie Smith. Yeah. That book is, uh, I, you know, to me, that book, I, I still have, you know, nerdy debates within myself about whether or not On Beauty is superior to Swing Time. But right now, I've now been through, I've just finished my second reading of Swing Time 
If you all have not read it yet, this is the perfect time. You have hopefully a few days off this time of year. Read the book. So here's what I did that was a stupid thing to do. I gave the name Swing Time to family members as a thing they could get me for Christmas. You know that thing where people go, well, what can I do? What can I get? And I'm going, what's easy for them to get that'll be on the front tables at the bookstore? Right. So I have held off so that I don't have to fake being delighted if I've already read it and somebody presents it to me at Christmas, which I really hope they do, because otherwise I have to go out on the 26th and buy it. But what do you do with these kinds of things? Like, I feel like books are the thing I want most and the thing I want most often, and yet they're the easiest, most foolproof Christmas gift to ask for so that you don't get a million more bath bombs from somebody's aunt. Right. So I find this to be a holiday dilemma. I hope for you that you will get swing time because I actually will be very mad because, you know, we can't talk about it since you haven't read it. Um, And she's that important to us. I mean, put it this way. Obviously, I'm reading it December 26th one way or another. It's just a question of whether or not I have to brave Boxing Day sales to get there. Um, Other highs? Obviously, Lemonade. Huge. Huge one. Yes, and still. And still. And as other things have fallen away, yeah, still a delight to experience from beginning to end. Not unlike Hamilton. (laughs) And... I think that we're still going to get to celebrate Lemonade in the new year simply because, I mean, the full year of formation. We're not even at the first year anniversary. Um, that's coming up in February. Also the Grammys, um, where Lemonade has been nominated for most of the awards um, and leads the way. And now I'm curious. What I'm, happened with the controversy about Daddy Lessons? Did that get resolved? Daddy Lessons uh, was not nominated uh, in the country category. Ooh. That may be my favorite song. It may be my favorite track from the whole album. And that's saying something. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Daddy Lessons did not meet the country, I guess, the country standards. So the country arm, whatever, of the Recording Academy that decides did not consider Daddy Lessons to be of the uh, caliber worthy of a nomination. It wasn't country enough, is what you're saying. Or what country is a euphemism for white? Is that what you're trying to say? I mean, I don't know. I don't know what the I don't know what the standards are, but uh, ultimately that's what they decided. But this it goes, didn't qualify as a country track. But I go. It goes back to to maybe Teen Vogue and what we're saying about having you can be things. You can be a lemonade R and B queen. You can be the consummate entertainer. You can be a country music artist, or an artist who can perform an amazing country song. But I guess some people don't think that Beyonce is or doesn't want to let her. Interesting. They don't want to let her. So does that count as a low? I mean, we've had lots of highs. Or at least let her be acclaimed for it because she just did it anyway. She did it anyway. Let's put it that way. There's a lesson. Yeah. Do it anyway. If 2016 tells you anything, mm-hmm. do it anyway. Nobody's going to give you the permission that you want, that we crave, that you've been told that you need. Just do it anyway because then it's out there. Ask forgiveness if necessary, but don't even do that. Just do the thing. Do it anyway. Yeah. 
So what are your lows? Are there any lows? Do you hang on to the lows? Um, there are definitely some lows that I think we have to keep our eye on. I hated what we saw come out of the coverage of the Johnny Depp, Amber Heard mm. divorce abuse allegations. Right. And I mean, you, you got in on this too. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I think that it's one of those things that happens where you think you know people. You think you know how people are going to react. And then there are people you love and respect in your life saying shit like, innocent until proven guilty. Or, you know, they can fake those. Bruises don't look like that. People are so ready to explain things away. It's pretty crazy. It came up as well with Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie. Oh, that is ongoing still. People really want to explain anything away that they don't like. And, and in Brad Pitt's case, you've got to explain a lot, right? You've got to explain the plane. You've got to explain the custody arrangement. You've got to explain this. The boy's not wanting to be with him. You have to, and all of that you have to explain with she's a bitch. Right. That's the easiest and most obvious right. option, right? Amber Heard, she's a bitch. That was the example, right? I'm not the biggest fan of Amber Heard in terms of her work. And I, I think I, you can be that. You can be like, uh, I don't think she's the greatest actress. But does that mean that I don't think that she was abused by her husband who clearly exerted a level of power and control over her? No. You can be both. Well, now on the other side of things, Amber Heard was, was proven correct. What was it she was trying to do? What was the allegation that she was trying to take him down? That she was trying to, like, get some money? She did get money, if he ever pays. Yeah. She told the truth about, he's fine. Nobody is suffering. Johnny Depp is not suffering for all the truth that Amber Heard told. So what was the criticism here? That she, you know, smeared his reputation, that she only wanted money out of it. She blackmailed him. She made up this story so that she could get all this money. Then when it emerged that she was going to turn around and give away the money, it was like, well, you know, she had no choice to give away the money because she was saving face. Okay. I mean, as you always say, who would choose to go through that? Who would choose to go through being not believed? The gaslighting, if you want to, right? Who would choose all of that for what? For what? For, yeah, for what reason? For people who don't believe you, smear your name, find any reason not to believe you. Who would? And we will see more of that in 2017, I'm sorry to say. Unfortunately, and that brings me to my next low and highlight, I guess, which is Emily Doe. Um, This became a story that was, I know this is not a pure entertainment story, but it was a story that was so big that the entertainment world could not avoid it. The Emily Doe story, the Emily Doe is the victim of Brock Allen Turner, the Stanford rapist. Um, That story ended up getting coverage in Us Weekly, in People Magazine, you know, in Variety, on Deadline, because it was an undeniably powerful account of a victim who, listen, was not believed over 20 minutes of action. The high, the high there, to clarify. To clarify there, uh, 20 minutes of action is what his father wrote uh, in an appeal uh, to, to, I think, the judge. Regarding his sentencing. Yes. Uh, that his whole life shouldn't be ruined over 20 minutes of action. And that I. is… I.E. 
Yeah. Emily Doe was found unconscious behind a dumpster. So a high and a low, a low because obviously, and a high because her victim impact statement was, wow. I mean, it just went everywhere. It was the conversation for a full week, I think. It was the conversation on TV, on the radio, in magazines, online, um, in a way that was, my God, it was, it brought that conversation to one of the, the, like, I mean, the highest points that we've ever seen. And to go back to the Amber Heard's and the, why would you choose that? If it wasn't true, for all the people who argued on his behalf, his defense team that tried to undermine her, that tried to say that she wanted it, that she's just lying, that she's just embarrassed now and had to turn it into a big case um, and had to turn it into a big rape allegation because I don't know what. Um, Who would choose that? Who would choose the indignity of standing in a courtroom having to listen to a lawyer ask you, what were you wearing that night? But weren't you, like, dancing suggestively? Didn't you leave a voicemail on your boyfriend's phone, uh, you know, acting, quote, unquote, slutty? Right? Who would choose that? Apparently, I'm Mary Sunshine today, though, because even as I agree with everything you're saying, it has reminded me of another high that's become a low that's become a high. And that is the participation and the sort of validation from the highest levels on these topics. Uh, I was thinking about Joe Biden uh, speaking out at the Oscars when Lady Gaga performed If It Happened to You, Mm -hmm. uh, which was before all this, and how that's a level of involvement we haven't seen in a long time. Uh, I immediately then thought that a high and low is that there are going to be fewer Joe Biden memes. and fewer episodes of the Obamas in the press. The biggest delight in the sort of last third of 2016 before the election has been the Obamas kind of loosening the reins on the press and doing really fascinating and interesting interviews. Uh, Obama on Mark Marin doing interviews with BuzzFeed. And as much as I will miss them in positions of of power, I am fascinated by Barack Obama and Michelle Obama, and I cannot wait for them as private citizens to be available to us for more, for more interviews, for more personality. Yeah, for yeah. more candid conversations. Yeah. I'm really, really looking forward to that. So it is a load that that is leaving us in 2016 for any number of reasons. But politics aside, as if we were putting politics aside, I'm really interested to see them as people and to see what they say when they're allowed to be a little less guarded. It's going to be really exciting. And Malia and Sasha. No more turkey pardoning teenage (laughs) contempt faces at lame dad. They didn't even go this year. (laughs) They're too cool to go. (laughs) Well, thank you, Duanna. Thank you. Thank you for wanting to start up this podcast with me. Thank you for allowing me to mention Hamilton, uh, five podcasts in a row. Oh, my God. Okay, enough. Make it stop. Easily a high of 2016. I expect it to be a high in 2017. Yes. As well. When I see it, finally. That's right. 
And thank you all out there for listening to this podcast and for writing to us and for suggesting topics and for helping us name it. Yeah, which was awesome. And for being on board for what we're doing here and for kind of getting it and for looking forward to next year with us. We're going to hit the ground running with, I assume, a lot of bad behavior over the holidays and the Golden Globes and award season in full swing. I can't wait. Thank you for validating gossip. Most importantly, thank you for validating gossip as our work. Now, a little break, but then we work. We work hard in 2017. Get ready for it. You are going to hustle. Thank you. Happy New Year. Bye. Subtle results, still you, but with fewer lines. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia Gravis or Lambert Eden syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877 351 0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com.